They're a wonderful blessing. It's always a blessing, but especially, especially just this morning. Um, I want to um, dismiss our, our little ones to the kids' table. We have some special time for kids' ministry for them to join in as um, they're actually reading the same things that we are here in, um, in Big Church, which is really, really cool. And except they actually get a mailman delivering their letter of First Peter, which is really, really awesome. But they have a great ministry going on. Um, just want to welcome everybody. Um, thanks for joining us today in person here. Also online, we have quite a few people that uh, join us live as well as on later in the weeks and they're working, some vacationing in tropical places. We're not going to mention names or anything. But anyway, we're glad that you're here. I'm Pastor Chris. If I haven't had a chance to meet you, I just want to personally welcome you. And um, if I haven't had a chance to talk, maybe after the service, just grab a, um, a moment there. So, um, so today, um, today we're going to talk about this thing called time. Time. Does anybody feel like the summer is flying by and you're like, how did July get? I know, I know. The teachers are like, please don't even mention that, right? But, um, but the saying goes like time, like time flies. I don't know who actually came up with that saying, but it's time sure does fly. And, um, and do you believe it for all the, um, I'd say the, we call us the old timers in the room. It, we are in our fourth decade since the 1980s. Fourth decade, yeah, some that are like, we're not alive then, we're not born yet, don't worry about that. But, um, but the thing is, when, when it comes to time, um, most of us struggle with the idea of that we don't have enough, right? You go through the day, you're like, where did time go? I didn't get all the things done I needed to do. Uh, many times we want more time. Uh, sometimes we have a hard time appreciating or enjoying the time because it's kind of over before you get a chance to be like, I'm enjoying myself, right? Um, and a lot of times we, we try to make the most of time too, um, especially maybe in the summer season, you're getting a chance to get together with friends, family, that kind of thing, um, all those kinds of things. Um, and so it's not really a surprise that time, time makes for a natural inspiration or subject matter for a lot of songs. It does, truthfully, and especially songs, believe it or not, from the 1980s. So I'm going to have you guys help me out for um, a couple of these. Maybe you've played a game before where, or seen on the radio or heard on the radio or whatever where uh, people will play a, a verse of a song and then you have to continue that. So we're going to do that. So please humor me and sing because I don't want to be the only one singing along up here. Um, so sing nice and loud. You'll catch on very, very shortly. Um, so even if you are, we're not born in the 1980s. So first song, we four of these to go. Uh, Cindy Lauper, 1983. Hit it, boys. The second hand unwind. If you're lost, you can look and you will find me. Time after time. Okay, awesome. You guys online, please sing along in your household. Wake the neighbors up. Okay, next one. Y'all are, wow, y'all are having fun with this. Okay, next one. Share from 1989. If I could find a way. Okay, very good. Okay, see if you get this one. Jennifer Warren's 1987 from a wonderful movie. Because I had the time of okay, there we go. Awesome. This way before. Okay, thank you all. Okay, 
too. <laughs> wow. I did not know there would be such a response to this. Y'all are awake today. How many cups of coffee do? Okay, and last but not least, Dolly Parton, 1980. Working What a way to make a living. Barely getting by. All taking and no giving. Okay, thank you. Yeah, I know, I've kind of struggled with that one. Okay, awesome. So now that you all are awake. So, but when you think about it, you know, there's lots and lots of songs, even like more modern songs. There's lots and lots of things we talk about time. Um, but when you really, really think about it, you realize essentially time is your life. Time is your life. That your time, your time, 24 hours a day, is your most valuable asset that you have. It's a, the most valuable commodity, the most valuable thing that you have, and it's so valuable. Get this. Think about the way that we talk about time. We talk about time as basically like money, right? Spending, investing, wasting. We, it, time is such an important thing, and, and, and it's kind of an interesting and kind of sad thing that, that at the end of our lives, lots of us will pay lots of money to buy more time, truthfully. We'll spend lots and lots of money, and, and you know this, if you've had someone pass away, whether recently or in the past, um, you realize this, that you would do anything, pay anything to have more time with that person, because time is so valuable to us. And the, so the question I want to ask us today is, how does Jesus change how we see our time? How does Jesus change how we see our time? And, and you, you have these in, in your sermon notes if you want to follow along in the worship guide there. Um, but we've been in this series that we've been unpacking the, uh, the letter of 1 Peter found in the New Testament scriptures. It's one of the, the letters that was written after Jesus' ascension, after he left his disciples, when these little churches were starting to gather around the ancient world. And we've called this series different because the Apostle Peter, Peter's right-hand man, he's writing this letter basically to encourage these little churches, five ancient churches in kind of the region of Turkey, the ancient region of Turkey. Uh, and he's telling them, uh, don't give in to the culture around you. Don't give up, especially, especially because they were under such great persecution at the time, and he's encouraging them. This is a map of kind of where those regions were. Um, and the reason why they were being tortured, they were being persecuted because they were being tortured under this very, very evil emperor named Nero. Remember him? I mentioned him a couple weeks ago if you were with us. Nero was this crazy, evil man who killed two wives. He killed and beheaded all these people. He killed his mother. I mean, like, for real, right? Maybe you've said that at some point, admittedly, but you never actually mean it, right? Uh, it doesn't get any worse than killing your mama. Like, who does that? This guy did. He was evil beyond measure, but he also had this, this insatiable desire to keep building. He liked to build things. And so uh, there was a time he was kind of in conflict with some of the government leaders of this time. And, and so, reputably, he set fire to the city of Rome in order to demolish it so he could what? Build again. So he could build, just a crazy, crazy guy. But what he did was he blamed the first century Christians on the fire. He blamed the fire on the first century Christians at the time, people who were already being persecuted, people already being put to the side, and, and things got worse for them. And so just a, a quick side note here. Do you know that persecution still takes place today? That Christians are still persecuted around the world? 
Um, get this, some statistics. Every month, 300 Christians are killed for following Jesus, for doing nothing else but being followers of Jesus. Um, 200, every month, 200 churches are burned, burned to the ground. And um, every month, this is, this is a big statistic, 800, 800 followers of Christ are beaten, tortured, raped, or imprisoned for following their faith. This is going on today. This is, we don't think about these things. But you imagine that, especially if you're part of that, if you know that people are chasing down, tracking down to do these things, um, it's scary and you can't help but ask, like, am I next? Right? I, I, my brother, my cousin, my neighbor, my friend, is my time going to be cut short? So Peter, Peter knew the fear that they were experiencing. Just imagine that. Um, he also knew the temptations that they would have to go back to what they were before, to be drawn back into the culture. And that's why Peter has some advice specifically about time and how Jesus changes how we see it, how he changes how we see it. And the first thing, uh, we're in chapter four here in Peter's letter, he's, the first thing that he shows us is that you can learn from how you used to spend your time. You can learn from how you used to spend it. So he starts off here, we're in chapter four today, he says, Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. And as a result, they don't live the rest of their earthly lives for human, evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do. And you can insert here what that is for you. He says, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, detestable idolatry, they're surprised that you don't join them in their reckless wild living, and they heap abuse on you. Has that ever happened to you? But, but they'll have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead, for this is the reason the gospel was preached, even to those who now are dead, so they may be judged according to human standard in regards to the body, meaning they're dead, but live, but they're alive according to God in regard to the spirit. So let's just pause there. So, so we can learn from how we used to spend our time. Um, and did you know, did you know, for all the repeated um, uh, religious toothbrushers in the house, did you know that if you spend two minutes, two times a day, brushing your teeth, it equals out to two hours every month and 24 hours every year brushing your teeth? Isn't that crazy, right? A whole day a year. And, and th but think about it, just in perspective. It doesn't seem like much, two minutes, right, at a time, but it adds up. It adds up. It matters. It's a big deal. And so just a parallel here, it's easy to spend a lot of time on pursuits, little things that are less healthy than teeth. <laughs> There's lots of things that you can be doing, right? I mean, it's easy, right? You get distracted on your phone, you know, before you know it, like three hours are gone, uh, you know, you, you, you all of a sudden you get drawn into some patterns and behaviors and people that you know you should not be hanging around with anymore, but yet, you know, you're bored and you're lonely and what do you do? You, you go to those things. Um, but we begin to get the force of what he's saying here, really in, in verse three, where he says, basically, that junk has taken up enough time, has robbed you of enough time already in your life. Uh, don't, don't, like to look back and to recognize it. And, and he says, like, what good does it produce, right? I, I mean, just unnecessary pain and struggle. And, and you and I, we would admit, like, life is painful enough. But the reality is, as long as we live in our body, 
We're going to have to struggle with those temptations, being pulled back to those things that we've struggled with in the past. And, and so as, as a Christian, he's basically saying, like, if you're a follower of Jesus, like, your call is not to just simply mosey on through life, that you're just reacting to things that happen to you, but that you're disciplined, that you know whose you are, and you hold on to that and cling to that in those times, that you're disciplined. And not only that, but you're not doing it by yourself either. He's addressing this. Remember the yous here, they're all plural. He's not just saying you individually, but you all, you yins, you know, you guys, wherever you're part of the state you're from. Like, like you're saying this all together that you're doing this. But it's about being intentional, right? It's being intentional about what you're doing and, and what you're avoiding, learning from what happened before. Not just traveling around the mountain and repeating over and over. And of course, like he points out here, that's going to put you at odds with the rest of the world. That's going to put you at odds with people around you that, that knew the old Joe or knew the old Jane, right? That the people that have not learned from what they've been through or going through. And so, and he also makes this little comment here, you know, that about the, those that have received the gospel or have been preached to the gospel who are now dead. Uh, he's kind of referring here to, to say, of course, there's going to be people around that are saying, well, they're dead. How did that work out for them, that following of Jesus, Right? Like, they died, they didn't live on. And he's saying, no, you're clinging to the hope. What happened to the supposed hope? Well, they're with God now, and their promises have been fulfilled. And Peter points out, though, this one thing, though, for both, for both those that are kind of going their own way and those that are following Jesus, he says that for all, that at, when we die, we will have to give an account of our lives to God. That, that's something that, yes, there is a promise of eternity. There is a promise of eternal life with God, and, and he's promised that one day he's going to make all things new, combine heaven and earth. But there's also this idea that all of us are going to have to give an account for our time, for what we did and what we didn't do, to, to say that how we've used ourselves, how we use the gift of the days and the hours and the weeks and the months and the years that we've been given and so he, he's pointing out here, yet, yes, you, you will be alive in Christ, but look back. What have you learned? Make the most of what's headed in, in their future. Have you learned what's helpful and harmful? Because they can be both good instructors. Even the worst of things, the worst decisions that you've made can be great teachers. Time can be a great teacher. And so then moving on from there, though, he, he segues, though, into the kind of a related idea. Um, and he, he says this, he basically, don't mark time in the meantime, though. Like, as you're waiting for heaven, the, you know, the glory, when the heavenly gates open up, like, don't mark time in the meantime. Or even if that's not what you're necessarily waiting for right now. And he continues, he says, of course, the end of all things is near. And so therefore, though, be what? Alert. And of sober mind, so that you may pray. And, and above all, above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. But each of you, get this, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others. As faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms, if anyone speaks, they should do as one speaks the very words of God. That's your gift, right? If anyone serves, they should do so not with your own strength, but with the strength God provides, 
so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. So don't mark time in the meantime. Um, we have a picture, Nate, if you want to throw that up on the screen. Have you ever been to somebody's house? Don't, maybe it's you. I don't know. It's okay. But, you know, we've all, at some point, you've seen this or you've seen it on the TV shows or whatever on Netflix. And, and you know, the house that you walk into, or maybe you did, and you wrap, everybody wrapped in plastic. And, um, and maybe if you're close enough to a person, like a friend, family member, or like even yourself, um, maybe you, like, had the guts to ask the question, like, what are you going to take off the plastic, right? Like, what are you waiting for? <laughs> what are you waiting for? And the funny thing is, most of the time, um, people don't know. <laughs> they don't know what the occasion is that they're waiting for to take the plastic off the brand new chair or sofa, right? Um, but we, we do the same things with our lives, right? We wrap them in plastic saying, well, I'm waiting for the perfect time to do this. The perfect time. Or when this happens, then I will blank, Right? When this happens, and, 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 you know, even those of you guys that are retired, like, you may, re like, you were waiting to retire, and you retired, and then you just find yourself, like, I'm waiting to die. Honestly, I've noted, I've met people, and they're like, honestly, I've retired, and, like, that's it, and, like, I'm basically finding I'm wait just sitting around waiting to die. Like, that's kind of crappy, right? That's awful. But, but the Christians who Peter's talking to, he's referring to the, the situation here is that they were believing that Jesus was coming back very, very soon. And that he was going to make everything new, that they just had to like hunker down, wait for his coming, don't go through trouble, right? Why would they go through all the effort of like doing things in their community and changing the world and connecting with people? I mean, they're basically like saying like, it's hard now, Peter, life is hard. Let's just wait for Jesus. I mean, you know somebody like that, right? Um, and that can be our mentality, whether in life or about death. That, that Jesus is going to come back or our life, life ends. Um, but, but if that's you, hear these words from Peter to you. Marking time is for marching band in the military, but not for you. Marking time is for the marching band in the military, but it's not for you. Because he says this, the first thing, even if you feel like you have nothing else, the first thing he says in verse 7 is to do what? Pray. Pray. You can pray. You can pray. There's power in prayer. Power in talking to God. Power. I, I know very powerful people that, that literally can't walk or can't go out or can't do anything. And they sit, my friend Mary, she sits in a chair in her living room and she intercedes on the behalf of people's needs for hours at a time just praying. And I'd say she's doing one of the most powerful things that most people could do, right? I mean, it, it's, it's all of that. You can't do anything else. Pray. It's, it's powerful. Um, marking time is not for you, but he says also in verses 8 to 9, but what you can do and what you should be doing if you're a follower of Jesus, once again, if you're not a follower of Jesus, don't worry about it, but if you're a follower of Jesus, love and serve. Love and serve. You can be the vehicle that God uses to transform someone's life. And get this, it may not be spending hours and hours of time and doing anything miraculous for them. It may be a phone call. It may be checking in on someone. It may be, you know, that, that idea of love, he's saying, like love covers all sin. Basically, when you love someone, it doesn't get rid of the sin that somebody's committed, but it offers an opportunity to minister. That love, uh, it's a reminder to offer hospitality without grumbling, to open up your life to someone else. I mean, like, you know, there's sometimes when it's like, you know, you need to do the right thing. You're like, oh, I really don't want to, Right. 
I don't want to, or, or, or maybe like, you know, you notice nobody else is helping. You're like, fine, right? I'll help. I'll go and do it. Maybe your spouse told you that, right? And then you're like bitter and angry the whole time. Well, that's not good. That's not what he's talking about. The, the love and the service is, is coming from in here. Because you know, if you believe truly what God has done for you, the grace, the love, the forgiveness, then you pass that on. You can't keep it to yourself it's about passing it on, not marking time with it and holding it yourself. But then that last piece, 11 and, uh, verses 10 and 11, he refers to these gifts, right? Use whatever gift that you have to use what you got. What do you have? What do you have? What, what are your gifts? Maybe you do speak, but maybe you serve. Maybe you teach. Maybe you're really good at cleaning up. Maybe you're good at listening. Maybe you're good at cooking or decorating. Uh, we have a ministry here at Table Life Church called The Supper Table. We offer a community meal once a month over in Lemoyne. And, and we have some wonderful ladies that, that, and people that are so good at decorating. That's not me, right? I, I mean, I would like go to Dollar Tree and like throw something on the table and be like, I'm done, right? These people, like, they go out of there, like, they're like decorating things. It's like beautiful hospitality. Like, once again, what's your gift? What's your grace? Maybe you fix things. Maybe you're good at fixing things. Or maybe you're good at just being with someone. Just being with. Or, or, or maybe, it's, maybe it's gardening. Or maybe it's organizing. Some people are really, really great at organizing events or having their lists. Maybe you're the checklist person. You check things off and you're so organized that way. But what is it? Use what you got. Use what you got because you have something. You have something that you haven't tapped into. You have something that you have not utilized. But Peter also cautions, though, just be careful of the motivation, though. Be, mo be careful of your motivation for who you're doing it for. That it's not just for you to feel better about yourself, but that you're doing it unto the Lord. That you're using it. I mean, even in the worst circumstances, and this is, once again, not to belittle anybody that's going through a struggle or a trial. Like, there are times that we need, to, uh, we need to kneel down, and we need to seek the Lord, and we need to cry it out, right? We need to do those things. But he's saying this, that any time that you hear a story of someone who's handed a hard card in life but decided to do something anyway, pay attention to them. Anyone that you hear a story that is going through a struggle and you see them do something anyway, use a gift that they have anyway, even from their, their, the, the, the bed that they're laying in, pay attention to them because that's the kind of faith that he's talking about here. That that person understands the connection and the value between time and life and purpose and the gifts that we have, the things that we're easy to throw to the side and neglect and just mark time in the middle of, Right? Don't spend your life marking time, waiting. But on the flip side, Peter also shares, he goes on to share, that with Christ, nothing goes to waste. We have to remember that too. That, that it's not like you can say, look back and say, okay, well, I learned from that, but, but you know, that was just, a, I, I lost 20 years of my life, whatever. He's saying, no, but be reminded that nothing goes to waste. I, I mean, it's very common for us to say things whether to ourselves or to others, like, to say, wasn't that a waste, right? You went to that gathering, you're like, that was a waste of my day. Or you went to go help this person, you're like, that was a waste. Or a whole year of your life, you're like, what a waste of a year. Uh, or, you know, you can look at your life as a waste. You know, that's one way that you can choose to look at life. But the good news is that connected to Jesus, nothing, no thing, no thing, not even bad things goes to waste, go to waste. 
And he, he says this in verses 12 to 16. He says, dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal that's come on you to test you. So something strange were happening to you, like everybody's going to have this, but rejoice, rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. And if you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you're blessed, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. And if you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed. But praise God that you bear that name. Nothing goes to waste. That to see God, God through God's eyes, to see your time and your life through God's eyes, we have to see it in a context of what it's connected to. Uh, a couple weeks ago, we started this series, or beginning of the series, um, talking about the junk drawer. Um, if you were with us, then you remember that. If you weren't, don't worry about it, but you can catch that online. And um, has anybody ever, like, soared through, like, your junk drawer, and, like, you take out something, and you're like, what is this? And you're, like, looking around, and you're like, honey, do you know what this is? And you're, like, trying to sort things through. And, and then... Then that person that you go to um, here at the church, you know, we have lots of closets and things, and you're like, what is this, right? What is this? And you go to people, and you ask. And if you're really, really lucky, then, then you go to somebody, and you ask, what is this? And they say, oh, that is a blank, right? And then you're like, oh, okay. Oh, this goes to, this is a router cord. Oh, it's a power cord for the router, I didn't know that, right? It makes sense. Um, you ask, well, what is this? It's really a question of context. You're really asking not what this is, but why is this here? Not what it is, but why it's here. It's a context question. And the thing that you had no idea what it was for, it suddenly takes on purpose because it's connected now to something else. That's how it gets its purpose. We don't know what it's for until it's connected to something. And that's why a lot of times, like, you go through your junk drawer and you throw away the thing. You throw away the thing that doesn't seem to have any value or, or purpose, only to discover several weeks, weeks later that, oh, that was the router cord that I threw out. It's about what it's connected to. You threw it away because you didn't know what it was connected to. And that's what Peter is saying about this, that what the things in life, what they're connected to, it's what gives its purpose. That's what, what happens here. God is not causing the pain and the suffering. People are choosing to do that. Their people are choosing to persecute and to ostracize. And, and, but even when the pain is connected to God, God can plug it in and connect it to purpose in some way. Not that he's causing it, but he can use it. He can use it. Nothing goes to waste. And he can turn it on its head, even taking the, the worst of the worst, the things of this broken world, and using it for good. I mean, that's the story, if you didn't know this, that's the story of the English reformer William Tyndale. Um, a lot of your Bibles, you have like a little print there that says Tyndale. Well, that goes after William Tyndale. And he was part of the Reformation, um, the 1600s. And he is responsible for trans the first person to translate the Bible into English. So if you're an English speaker and you're reading an English Bible, you can really give him a lot of credit. But the thing was, when he was alive, he was trying to do this covertly because people didn't like it. 
He was trying to translate the Bible into English and living in hiding because the church at the time was trying to use their language, their skills in Latin to keep control over giving the Bible to these people that don't know what they're reading. But he didn't believe in that. And so he was living in hiding, trying to translate this book into English. And of course, he was short of funds trying to do so because it took a lot. Um, And at the time, the Bishop of London heard about what he was doing illegally this translation. And the Bishop of London got super mad. And guess what the Bishop of London did? He sent his agents everywhere to buy all the copies that William Tyndall had translated into English, to buy them, to collect them, and then to burn them. But ironically, you know what happened? The money that they spent to do so enabled Tyndall to move to the next phase of publication so that that way the English Bible could be broadcast even greater. Crazy, crazy, crazy stuff. Broadcasting what became known as the King James Bible of 1611 that then led to later translations that we read today. See, Peter is saying like that, God could turn what is against you to serve to advance the cause. Nothing goes to waste. That the, the heart of the passage, he's saying that when you are connected When the thing that you're not sure what it is or what it's going to do, when it's connected, the Spirit of God can rest on you in a way like no other. Maybe not bringing necessary understanding, but not letting that go to waste. And you know this if you've ever known somebody who has gone through something really tough in life, whether a loss or a diagnosis or something, and you met them and you knew that the Spirit of God rested on them. And what was the result of that? The peace. The peace that was just a part of their lives. See, friends, we don't get to choose when the tests of life and the tests of faith come. But God can use anything. He can use anything. What was done to you, what you did, what you chose, what you didn't choose, nothing goes to waste. But then last, last but not least, is he also tells us the good news is, though, that this is not the end. This is not the end. He concludes this this part. This scripture goes on, by the way. We don't have time to unpack that piece. You can explore that for yourself. But he says, for it's time for judgment to begin with God's household. Begin with us first. We're responsible. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who don't obey the gospel of God? And if it's hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. He's saying that, that, that this is not the end. This is not the end. And isn't there a difference when you know something is the end versus not the end? I mean, think of your favorite show that you're streaming, right? You know when you're on season two and there's still season four ahead. It makes a difference. Or you know when this is the last one, right? You know that this is, but it's, a, it's the same thing. When you know that it's not the end, it changes your perspective of the story. And that goes for us. That goes for us. When you know that life is not the end, it changes the story. Once again, he points out and emphasizes again that we will be held responsible. Like we will have to give an account of our lives. But when we have a perspective of trust in God's love and God's grace, it changes the end of the story to know that this life is not the end. It also changes our funerals. If you've ever been to the funeral of someone where it's like, oh, we don't know know what they believed or you know, they were atheists or they were this compared to somebody that it was a celebration of life truthfully 
that you know without a fact that there was a joy present there that you were able to celebrate. See, Peter's reminding readers that we have to see everything in the light of what's ahead. Jesus' final glory. That, that Jesus, Jesus for us, when we trust him, he assures us salvation by grace through faith. He assures us of that. But from God's perspective, that little part here that he talks about, well, isn't it hard for the righteous to be saved? From God's perspective, he's pointing out that even the holiest and most righteous person still needs to be rescued. That it's not what we do, but that we're still in need of grace. And that's not meant to produce panic, but gratitude that we're called to practice justice and grace. And that we entrust the future and the present by doing good. By responding to that grace that we have received from God, the love and grace that we have received. And not just getting into more trouble along the way, but rather we're saying, God, I trust you. I trust that this is what you've called me to do. This is what you've called me to do with my time. Even while I'm spending time suffering, that I will continue to be this kind of person for your glory, not for mine. Being settled on that belief that God is faithful and and you can rely on him now and in the future, that settles everything. To know that this is not the end. So that kind of draws this piece of Peter's letter to a close here in our time together. Um, And and so just some final words for you. Um, Maybe for you it's time. I don't know what that means for you, but maybe you've been waiting for something. And maybe for you, you just need to hear today, you've been marking time too long. It's time. It's time. Because we all have a limited amount of it. You know, whether you're listening to share songs or, uh, you know, one day you'll be 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90. But Jesus, Jesus makes our time here different, but also calls you to use it different. Our time to be different. And, and, and dare I say to, that he makes our time here better. He makes us better, but not in the sense of easy or getting what you want, but better because you can learn from where you've been. You don't need to mark time. You can know that God, with God, nothing goes to waste, and you can also trust. When you trust him, you know that this is not the end. Hey, friends, time is not an enemy to be defeated or something to be wasted, but it's meant to be seen as a gift meant to be spent wisely. How will you use yours? Let's go with him in prayer.